Welcome to episode number 138 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, the first podcast dedicated to helping civil engineering professionals succeed in work and life. In this episode, I will be speaking with Steve Soldati, who's the regional sales manager at Asian Corporation. Steve was previously on episode number 74 of the Civil Engineering Podcast, where he discussed effective communication strategies. In today's episode, he will be discussing emerging renewal technologies for pressurized pipelines. This topic is very applicable in today's world of crumbling infrastructure. And in fact, this is the first of a couple of episodes we're going to be doing focused around infrastructure. And one of them is actually going to feature Peyton Gibson to talk all about the ASCE infrastructure report card, which was a a very interesting conversation as well. Now, I'm your host, Anthony Fasano. I am a licensed professional engineer who practiced as a civil engineer but eventually decided I wanted to focus more on inspiring engineers rather than doing the engineering myself. So since then, I've written a book entitled Engineer Your Own Success and have traveled the world helping engineers. I've also had the honor of authoring the American Society of Civil Engineers Careers and Leadership column for the past few years. Now, something about me that you may not know is I did start my career as a surveyor actually in high school, believe it or not, in summers doing land surveying and into college and then received my degree in civil engineering. And I didn't like surveying at all. I just didn't like my perception of engineering, so to speak, was math, science, doing different kinds of projects. And then I was stuck outside in 100 degree weather, ripping through forests with a rod in my hand. And I was like, this isn't cool. Although surveying is critically important to what we do as civil engineers. So I learned to appreciate it and it made me a much more practical civil engineering designer when I got to that stage of my career. Now, before we get started, this is a free podcast and our sponsors do help us keep it free. So we ask that you please support them. And now I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, a big thank you to EMI's sponsor, Mazer Consulting, a privately owned multidiscipline engineering firm with 950 employees in 32 offices nationwide and growing fast. Mazer Consulting's engineers, planners, surveyors, landscape architects, and environmental scientists provide professional services to a diverse client base across the public and private sectors. Headquartered in New Jersey with projects coast to coast, Mazer's offices are strategically positioned to provide comprehensive services to meet their clients' needs. Mazer Consulting is committed to the success of their clients and employees. Again, I want to thank Mazer Consulting for extending their sponsorship into 2020. They've been very supportive of all of our content, and I'll tell you a little bit more about them later on in the episode. I also want to mention that at EMI, we believe that if you want to become a successful engineering manager and leader, you need three things. You need technical skills, which I know you've learned in school and you continue to learn in your career, but you also need project management skills and people management skills. It's kind of those three things combined can really help you to be a very effective leader. And so we have the resources to help you with those last two components. Our engineering management accelerator people skills course will help you to build, sharpen, polish your people skills, communicating with others, including your team members and clients, networking and building relationships, which can help you to be really good at business development now or in the future being productive as possible, which will increase your utilization, building expertise, your public speaking skills. All of those skills are covered in our EMA course, which you can find out details at engineeringmanagementaccelerator.com. You could take it on demand starting today or our next live session will begin in April. Also, 
Our newest course that we're launching in March is the Project Management Accelerator PM Skills course, which can help you with that project management component of your all your skill sets kind of wrapped up into one, right? The scope creep we'll talk about in that course, project scheduling, which is really important, cost estimating, and just a bunch of other project management skills. And when you put these together, you will really become a well-rounded civil engineering professional. So check those out, engineeringmanagementaccelerator.com and projectmanagementaccelerator.com. All right, now to bring us into the interview for today, I'd like to introduce our guest for this episode, Steve Soldati. Steve is a registered civil engineer in Florida and California. He attended California State University, Chico, where he earned his Bachelor of Science in Civil Engineering. He has over 10 years of experience in the industry working in construction, program, and project management and asset management. He brings a well-rounded perspective to the challenges that many agencies face with aging infrastructure and population growth. And we definitely got into that in the conversation. And again, this episode is more about just pressurized pipelines. It's about really thinking about ways that we're going to solve our infrastructure problems. And as I said, we're going to get into some other topics coming up like the ASC report card, what goes into it, how it's helpful, and other things along the infrastructure lines. We also have a past series that we did all dedicated to infrastructure that we'll link to in this episode. All right, now let's dive into our civil engineering conversation of the week. Civil engineering podcast. Civil engineering podcast. All right, now I'd like to welcome Steve Soldati. Steve is a civil engineer with in situ form and Steve, welcome back to the civil engineering podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. So Steve, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast about 75 episodes or so. You've had some career transition since that time. Take us through that a little bit. When um, we last hosted a, a podcast series uh, with me on, um, I was working uh, as an internal in-house club consultant for the Florida's uh, Turnpike Authority. It was more of a consulting role that I was in, was there for a, a few years, uh, really helping the client plan, budget, and execute uh, projects from small transportation projects all the way up to major multi-million dollar, multi-year projects. Uh, but a part of me, just due to my personality and, and due to my desire for my career, had always had a desire to get into more of a, a sales and business development role, uh, really help companies take that next leap moving forward with whatever goals they have as a business. I actually reached out to a couple companies and realized that I think more of a product sale company was kind of more of a, a better fit for me. And so I started kind of putting some feelers out and got with a company in situ form technologies who is currently looking to make these leaps and, and, and change directions and go into some new directions to help keep up with the aging infrastructure uh, that we have in America. After a few interviews and some few discussions, I was fortunately asked to come on board and I've been here for the last five months or so trying to push things in, in a new direction you know, for the company. So it's been great so far. Congratulations on, on making that change. It's not always easy to make a career change. You kind of have to identify that you want to do something different and then go through the process. So what we're going to focus on here today, Steve, is pressurized pipeline and how it's related to the conversation around infrastructure. And we're going to really dive into that. The first thing I want to ask you, though, and I think maybe a lot of our listeners will get this, but for some of our listeners who might practice in different disciplines or might be civil engineering students, just what is a pressurized pipeline to start? Civil engineering is such a broad 
array of various infrastructure pieces, you know, from transportation to uh, structural, so like, you know, skyscrapers and other buildings. But of course, we have the conveyance of water, gas, fuel, whatever it may be throughout the whole country. And so a, a pressurized pipeline is, is essentially a pipe, whether it's steel, cast iron, uh, concrete, that conveys a fluid, you know, whether it's water or wastewater or fuel, gas, um, oil, with a use of mostly pumps to get it from point A to point B, where you don't have the topography helping you with, you know, a pipeline flow, you know, maybe from like a high part of a mountain down to a community. And so there are millions upon millions of feet of pressurized pipeline throughout the country that are underground and that most of us kind of take for granted. But the, the easiest example of what a pressurized, you know, pipeline is, is how you get your drinking water at your house or apartment. That water being brought to you is coming from either a, a water tank somewhere in the near facility and then being pumped and um, using gravity to come to your house. And so when you turn on that faucet, you have that, that nice pressurized water flow. Potable water, gas, as Steve recommended, you know, systems that are closed, whereas I did a lot of work in stormwater, you know, stormwater systems are typically open to the surface, right? Water gets in through catch basins and it flows by gravity, as, as Steve suggested, for the most part. In terms of these pressurized pipe systems, what is the landscape of the nation's existing pressurized pipeline infrastructure? With Institute Technologies, we partner up with the uh, Trenchless Technology Center over at Louisiana State University, and they've done surveys and studies, and they have found that there are more than 1 million miles of, of water mains, you know, so potable water mains under pressure throughout the entire country. And this, you know, from pipe materials from PVC to asbestos pipe, concrete pipe, cast iron, you know, ductile iron and whatnot, a, a majority of that pipe material being cast iron. And of those 1 million miles of water main pipelines, over 60% of that quantity range from 6 to 10 inches in diameter. So we're not talking very huge pipes, but we're talking just a network, a vast network of pressurized pipe supplying potable water to various communities, various businesses, whatever it may be. On top of that, we also need to be able to treat wastewater, right? So every, you know, every time you go to the bathroom, every time you to a restaurant, they're flushing everything down a sink. All that water needs to be conveyed to treatment plants. And so with that network of pipelines on the tail end of, of water use, there are uh, over 60,000 miles of force mains with very similar pipe materials as the, the potable water side. Now, it, there's almost half of that 60,000 miles of force mains and other sewer pipelines under pressure. There's a, the range is from 4 to 12 inches in diameter. So again, a vast majority of pipelines underground are anywhere from 4 to 12 inches uh, in diameter. Underground cannot be seen but need to be addressed here uh, in the near future. When you talk about numbers like that, Steve, it again reinforces kind of the importance of what civil engineers do in relation to everyday life. We're working on water systems that deliver potable water to people. And obviously, potable water is critical to the health of, of the citizens of our countries and around the world. To that end, you're talking about all of the different, the amounts of these pressurized pipe systems. What is the risk associated with this aging infrastructure? You know, you kind of started with that risk is it's what is the, you know, the influence of the health of the communities. And so, you know, the risk that we see with aging infrastructure is both a financial and an environmental risk. 
from uh, financially speaking, the longer you let an asset age and not be maintained or addressed, it's either going to deteriorate and fall apart, or it's going to uh, provide some type of possible environmental risk or health risk, you know, maybe from bacteria or pipe leak or or whatever it may be to help to facilitate any type of infiltration from maybe an uh, area of contamination. But also, you know, from a wastewater standpoint, if a pipe is leaking, then you have uh, the influence of the environmental impact that could be very costly. The risk is the longer we wait without addressing proper rehabilitation or replacement or even improvement of the infrastructure, it's going to be both more expensive and also more devastating to the surrounding communities. And so, you know, one example is your car, for example. You know, if you bought a car, and did not maintain it, you know, did not do anything to it and just ran it, put 20,000 plus miles on it per year. Well, at some point, the repairs to that car are going to be astronomical, or you're going to be in a dire situation where the car is just going to give out and die on you. And then unfortunately, that happened to me back in college, my Jeep, a little piece broke, and I was stranded in the middle of the highway with a, a huge disruption to my weekly routine. But same thing applies to infrastructure. You know, if a water main breaks, now we have folks who are depending on that water for their daily use and or business. And so the longer we wait, the more costly uh, and the more complicated things are going to be uh, in the future. So need to address it now. These are affect the health and well-being of the public and they're aging. We need to fix them. We need to repair them. We need to improve them from an engineering perspective. Everyone out there, if they heard this podcast and they were just you know, non-engineers, they'd say, oh, that, that's great. Let's fix everything. But from an engineering perspective, what are the challenges in trying to address this aging infrastructure, these pressurized lines that are old and kind of decrepit? Engineering wouldn't be engineering if there were no challenges that we had to tackle with various agencies and various items. And so a few of these challenges are the fact that there is a growing population within this country in various areas. but the population continues to grow where the demand is still high for potable water and to be able to treat the wastewater after that that initial potable water is used. There's also an economic challenge of disruption uh, that we're trying to avoid because, again, there's the direct costs of replacing materials and, and using the labor to do so, but there's also an indirect cost of how much it costs a community when you do disrupt a local business and get in there and and not be as efficient as we can. So from an engineering standpoint, trying to find that optimal position where we can address the issues and then tackle those challenges, but while still being very efficient and innovative with our methods of construction. With that, there's also the challenge of bypassing this water. So again, like I said, society demands a certain amount of water per day and is reliant on that water. And so being able to continue to supply that water while under construction is a huge challenge that we need to tackle. One example is the transportation world. You know, we see it all everywhere where we have construction on the highways, but they're not having to shut down the entire highway to perform either a widening or a resurfacing or some type of work on that roadway. And so again, same thing applies with the underground pressurized pipeline infrastructure is that there, there needs to be a way for society to continue forward while still addressing the issues. It may sound expensive now, but it would be even more expensive 
if we were to wait and not address it today. It's obvious just from our conversation so far that there's a lot of these pipelines, they're aging, and the longer we wait to fix them or rehab them, it's going to cost a lot more money and potentially cause a lot of damage. While there are risks involved, what are some things that can be done, techniques, strategies for renewing or rehabilitating this infrastructure? Because I know that that's something that you get to work on now. What it boils down to is that you have the traditional way of performing rehab work for underground pipelines is to dig and replace. And in some cases, you know, this makes sense. It's the most efficient. There's a least amount of disruption. But the, the great thing about where we've come in the engineering community is that there have been technologies that have developed and matured over the last several years that have been able to address the added challenges and the newer challenges that we face trying to rehabilitate uh, various pipelines underground. And so with that, the realm of trenchless technologies is, is really kind of where uh, everything will kind of fall under. And so you have your essentially your trench uh, methods of replacing or rehabilitating pipelines, but then you have your trench list. And w- within those trench lists, that trench list realm, there's a few objectives that we're trying to achieve. And one is to extend the life of the existing infrastructure, which you know is one of the, the main goals. And then asking yourself, it, it, do we need a structural solution or do we have a good pipe, but it's just leaking? So do we need just more of a semi-structural design to stop maybe some unfortunate leaking? One of the objectives with Trenchless is really trying to minimize the disruption in the local community. Like I said, that's kind of more of an indirect cost. Uh, it's harder to quantify that impact. But if you talk to any local council member or a local leader, there is a type of cost to that. And then, of course, you know, from a health perspective, being NSF 61 rated for potable water is always the goal as well. There are a variety of options that we can choose from what we call a cured-in-place pipe. It's essentially a, a pipe within a pipe uh, that is inverted or pulled through and inflated, and then that can cure in place. We also have a fiber-reinforced polymer that essentially goes up like wallpaper uh, for larger diameters. There's pipe bursting, where a, a head will, will come through the existing pipe, essentially break that pipe apart and then pull a new pipe through. We have spray-in-place pipe that you essentially, uh, kind of like uh, when you texture a wall at your house, it's a cementitious material that's sprayed along the pipe that then builds up thickness for rehabilitation. And then, of course, there's slip lining, which you're pulling a smaller pipe within a larger host pipe to be able to uh, convey that fluid or that medium, whatever, or media, whatever you are pulling through. So with these options out there, you know, the whole idea is trying to add tools to your toolbox for engineers and agencies to consider. Sometimes, the, you know, some, a few of them are not a good fit, but in many cases, at least one or two of these options are a good choice to at least consider because when you look at the traditional way of performing this work, there's a lot of add-on costs that may not be apparent up front, but is realized further down the road with the project details. And so things like restoration, things like traffic control, that there's a cost to that. And of course, the longer schedules that it takes when you dig uh, everything up, uh, utility conflict risk with digging everything up. And so you, you don't know what's underground until you get to it, which could be very costly you know, at the time. And so all these factors go into being able to consider a trenchless method as a viable, feasible alternative, if not the, the main purpose. 
a few of the questions that are typically asked when going down this route is what type of problems is the pipeline system experiencing? So that kind of goes into, you know, you're really trying to answer and get to what is the actual issue that we're having. And so another question is how much longer do I need this asset? I mean, is, are we trying to have a brand new life design life incorporated or does the pipe just need to carry another few years before a bigger project comes in? But right now something needs to occur. And of course, you know, additional capacity in the pipeline, you know, what are we looking at as far as demand? There are many projects throughout the country where they are upsizing their pipelines so to meet and keep up with the demand. But in many, many other cases, we are looking at just rehabilitating the pipe size uh, works just great, but we just need to be able to replace it appropriately. There's always the multiple services uh, connections that we may have off of a potable water line to help serve those communities, the houses, the apartments, the businesses, that becomes a, a big challenge that we need to tackle. Steve, all that being said, it sounds like some really good solutions for different scenarios potentially. And you gave some questions there that engineers can walk through with their clients or agencies to determine whether or not these are good solutions for a specific project. But if the answer is yes, if the answer is these are potentially good solutions, what are the steps in terms of an engineer specifying these items, finding out more information, putting them on their plans, walking a contractor through them? Tell us about that step in the process if they decide this is right for them. Starts with, you know, what kind of landscape, what kind of issues are any engineer or agency experiencing at this time? And so where it starts is trying to break the ice on even thinking outside the box. That's where I step in as my role to help these engineers and agencies you know, understand what are the other options, right? You know, I, I know in my garage, I like to have a toolbox full of different, unique, different little tools to be able to address any issue that may come up. But I need to understand and know what's in my toolbox before I could properly apply those items and those ideas to certain scenarios. So that's where it really starts at, you know, day one of planning and or design. And so if an engineer, you know, just got a contract with an agency to take a look at a pipeline that needs to be addressed or maybe like a network of, of pipelines in a small community or whatnot. It really starts at day one, understanding what's in the toolbox and then coupling that with the challenges and the, the objectives of that project and then having those two mesh together to come up with the most optimal uh, solution. You know, trying to, of course, you know, there's always the, the top three. There's high quality, under budget, and within uh, have schedule. And so trying to meet all of those as best possible is the ultimate goal. Now, we all know from the, the construction world and, in, and overall engineering world is that, you know, between quality, schedule, and, and cost, you know, you get to pick two. One of them is going to suffer, but trying to minimize the total impact while still providing a high quality product is, is the ultimate goal. So for those listening and you're wondering, you know, when should I incorporate this stuff? The answer is, Anytime you should consider it, but the optimal time is to get it early and designed. I am available to for calls or emails, or you know you can uh, reach me on my LinkedIn account to message me on any type of questions you may have. But it really starts with the engineer moving forward. That's great, and we're going to link to all of Steve's information in the show notes for this podcast on our website as well as below this video. 
on YouTube. So what we're going to do now is we're going to come back in just a minute and we're going to put Steve on the civil engineer hot seat. And really, since he's been on it before, we're going to talk to him about his recent career transition a little bit, as there might be some things that you could take out of it if you're thinking about making a transition in your career moving forward. Civil Engineering Podcast. Civil Engineering Podcast. Now it's time for my favorite part of the show, the Civil Engineering Hot Seat. We're going to put Steve on the Civil Engineering Hot Seat. But before we do that, I'd like to recognize our sponsor for this episode, Mazer Consulting. Mazer maintains a culture that is nurtured through the promotion of integrity, collaboration, and socialization. Their employees enjoy comfortable work environments, continuous career advancement, and the ability to impact society not only through the projects they work on, but the company-sponsored activities available to them. Mazer Consulting is on the cutting edge of technology, and their opportunistic approach to expansion creates personal and professional growth opportunities across all areas of the firm. Leadership's dedication to the well-being of their employees and their families is demonstrated throughout the wide range of benefits and programs available to them. Mazer Consulting has a civil site group opening in their Clinton, New Jersey office, for which they're currently seeking engineer, a project engineer, and a project manager. If you are interested in any of these positions, contact Michael Weissman at 732-383-1950, extension 3344, and let him know that you heard about these positions on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Again, that's Michael Weissman at Mazer Consulting at 732-383-1950, extension 3344. We're back with Steve Soldati, civil engineer with in situ form. And he told us a lot about pressurized pipe systems and how we can help with rehabilitating some of them going forward. However, what I want to focus on in the hot seat segment today is Steve recently made this kind of transition, career transition. You know, civil engineering is a big, big field with a lot of different disciplines. And Steve was doing something different. And about six months or so ago, he made the transition. So Steve, take us through a little bit your thought process of why you wanted to make a transition and how you approach the entire process. For me, it goes all the way back to college. You know, I, I knew I wanted to major in an engineering degree uh, or program, which you know it ended up being civil. In the back of my mind, I always want, had an interest in on the business side, you know, of things. I even came close to minoring in a business degree. Any engineering student knows that, you know, the engineering classwork is heavy enough. And so I end up not officially going that route of, of trying to earn a, a minor in business, but always had that interest. Kind of fast forward to, you know, my graduation. Uh, unfortunately, I graduated in 2009. So right when the recession was that peak and trying to get into some work. Um, but I got into construction early on because the Army Corps of Engineers had uh, already appropriated a bunch of funding for some work. And so I was fortunate uh, to get on some work in construction and really kind of see that side of the industry. All through my 20s, the goal was to get as, as much exposure as possible. And so with that, saying yes to many opportunities and giving 110% on certain tasks and new responsibilities. Now, if, if, you know, kind of fast forward to my late 20s, long story short, made a life move to, from California to Florida. Now I'm looking for an, another job at that time back in 2014. And uh, from there, I knew that I had limited experience, one, you know, in Florida, and also limited experience outside of federal government projects in construction. So with that, I knew that something had to kind of give 
from my end. And so I just decided to kind of shotgun out a variety of calls, emails, work current connections that I had with ASCE and other uh, you know, society communities. And ultimately that led to job with company in the transportation world, which was great. I did my time there, got into a in-house consulting position where, you know, again, I was helping clients, specifically the, uh, the Florida's uh, Turnback Enterprise plan, budget, and execute their work program. So from projects small, like replacing some street lighting, all the way up to helping to execute projects to expand a roadway network. And so a variety of different projects, you really need to have that type of personality where you try to rally the troops, you know, get the teams together, have open communication, and just be somebody that others want to work with you. Because I know that within the engineering community, there is a wide variety of personalities, of types of people, different types of roles and responsibilities. You know, for, it's not just engineering, but there's engineering, there's contracts, uh, there's planners. And so really trying to be that person to bring everyone together to tackle solutions because there's, there's always challenges every week. And so for me, that was a great exposure, great experience, but it was so focused on projects that I still had that desire to get that sales and business development experience under my belt and to have more of a business focus rather than just a project focus. And so for me, you know, I was looking around, I felt like the type of business that would best suit to meet my desire for my career was a company that sells a product versus you know, a consulting company. I interviewed with this company in situ form technologies, uh, and they were looking to make changes, you know, make go in new directions and, 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 and trying to keep up with the demand within the pressurized pipeline industry. So for me, that was very exciting to start something new. You know, I'm in my uh, young 30s. I'm, I'm still kind of really trying to increase my career growth. This was a really exciting opportunity to test out what I thought, what I think I may have as far as a skill set thus far, and then continue to develop my skill set you know, within this realm. Again, for me, you know, just my personality being an engineer, I really like to be around people, meet new people, develop relationships, continue them. And so that's just you know, a part of me that is really being able to come up with a good game plan. That's great. And so it sounds to me like, Steve, you made two big transitions. One, of course, moving from California to Florida, relocating across the country, which is huge in terms of lifestyle change and career transition. But then secondly, you made a second career transition change recently from one type of work in the world of civil engineering to another type, more business and sales driven. But it sounds like that one of the biggest factors in helping you to make these transitions successfully was kind of the network of people that you built around you. Is that accurate? Yes, absolutely. I can't say enough about the, tight, the network of people within the engineering community, um, and specifically the civil, because I don't have any, the experience with you know mechanical or the, the tech or any of that. But within the civil community, going from an entry-level position, even all the way up to you know when you hit 30 years old and even beyond, the world around you becomes a lot smaller the more experience you get and the more people you meet. And so it, it's actually pretty unbelievable of just how many degrees of separation are right around you that, you know, the whole like six degrees of separation, you know, idea that can be said for the engineering community as well. And, and it might even be smaller than that, you know, maybe even like two or three degrees. My first boss and first mentor, Larry Smith from the Corps of Engineers, 
was a, a huge help with that and actually helped set my foundation for my career. And I can't thank him enough uh, for what he did way back then. He showed me just how much it means to have that community with whether it's ASCE, whether it's the National Society of Professional Engineers, whether it's SWE, you know, whatever it may be, having that community, being able to get out and get those connections is paramount for career growth. And not just career growth, but also just flexibility. You know, we live in a world where it's so easy to fly from East Coast to West Coast and the communication is so much more open than it than it used to be. And so one caveat to that is that, you know, I had a lot of students when I was part of the ASE uh, Young Member Forum is they're very, very afraid that they won't quite be as impressive as they think they should be. But it's not about going out there and trying to be like the best thing since sliced bread, but rather going out there and just putting a face to the name, you know, going out there and saying, hey, you know, I'm so-and-so, I'm here, this is where I work. And then things will grow organically from there. But it's just a matter of just, you know, getting out. So if there's a happy hour that maybe a local group is having, just go out there and, and meet a couple new people. You don't need to meet the whole group that night, but just start with a couple people, you know, or, or if you know somebody within your office going to an event, that's a great icebreaker to go with. And then from there, it will slowly evolve to all of a sudden, somebody maybe wanting to go work in like the, the Northwest United States. And then through a couple people, they have a foot in because what I remember from moving to Florida is that when I called up on an engineer asking for any open positions, first question was, who the heck are you? Second question is, do you have any Florida experience? Well, no and no. <laughs> but it's so much easier to make a cold call when there's already a mutual connection there. And so people tend to just be a little bit more open when you have those connections already in place. So there you have it. If you're considering a career transition as a civil engineering professional, what I take away from Steve's experience here is really two things. Number one, think about your strengths, the skills that the things that you do well and the things that you want to do and look for, of course, career opportunities where you can incorporate them and use them on a daily basis. And secondly, lean on your network to help you find that transition or navigate that transition because it's obvious from Steve's experience that the network is a critical component of it. And we preach about that all the time on the podcast, get involved with ASCE, get involved with professional associations, local community organizations, because it's just going to help you with all that. So Steve Soldati, civil engineer from In-Situ Form Technologies, thank you so much for coming back and visiting us again on the Civil Engineering Podcast. Thank you very much, Anthony. It was a pleasure uh, talking with you. So thank you. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Steve, who's a little more technical in nature. I mean, I think we should try to really mix in some technical topics to this podcast. The civil engineering is a very technical profession and there's a lot going on out there. So if you have ideas for technical topics that you'd like to hear about, you can certainly reach out to me directly, afasano at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org or just go through our website at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. And once again, just a reminder, if you want to become well-rounded you can improve both your people skills and your project management skills through our accelerator courses. You can find all of them if you go to engineeringmanagementinstitute.org and just click the training tab at the top of the website there, and you'll have links and descriptions to all of our training programs. But the feedback that we're getting from people that have gone through our EMA people skills course has been phenomenal. We've been following up with engineers that have taken it six months ago, and they're telling us that they've made changes to their approach to their day. That's just totally increased their productivity. Their listening skills are better. The relationships are better. And you know we really pride ourselves on that. In fact, if you go to 
the engineeringmanagementaccelerator.com website, you can see some of that praise from engineers there with their images, with their titles, so you can see who's been taking the course. Again, all of that information is on our website, engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Click on the training button. And remember, you can find the full show notes for this episode at civilengineeringpodcast.com. Look for episode 138. There you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in today's episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books we mentioned during the episode. And also, Steve shared with us several photos that you'll find there. And this episode's also on YouTube. We put our episodes on YouTube as well. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com forward slash engineering careers. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your civil engineering endeavors. Thank you for listening to the Civil Engineering Podcast. Be sure to visit civilengineeringpodcast.com where you can listen to past episodes and also submit your project to be featured on the show. We also invite you to visit our main website at engineeringcareercoach.com and download a free three-part video series created specifically for engineers to help you best utilize LinkedIn for networking, improve your communication and speaking skills, and also help to develop your leadership abilities. Now is the time to engineer your own success.